0: chapter four of against odds by laurence l lynch this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by lynn thompson chapter four i can't make myself like him i am not superstitious and i certainly had no intimation then of the part these letters would soon play in my world's fair adventures nor of the use i should make of them but i opened that letter with an uncomfortable feeling of curiosity and interest and without even pausing to look again at the tiny grotesque faces of that little bridge procession so artistically sketched upon the envelope the letter like its cover was dated from boston and was just four days old just received i said to myself as i took up the wrapper to look at the chicago postmark yes came last night she must have read it this very morning, sitting upon some one of those shaded seats on Wooded Island, and after reading it, she must have amused herself by copying the people passing over the nearest bridge. Ergo, she must have been alone. My detective instincts were rousing themselves. Already I was half unconsciously handling that unread letter as if it were a feature in a case. She was alone too when we met on midway that is I saw no companion Could it be possible that the young lady was really alone in this densely populated place? How absurd I looked at the letter again It was written in a beautiful flowing hand and I said after a moment's scrutiny written in haste and under excitement There were eight closely written pages and having begun their perusal i read to the end without a pause the letter was signed hilda o'neill and there was no street number nor post office box only the name of the city from whence it came boston hilda o'neill was the name written on the second letter this and nothing more but this no longer surprised me miss o'neill was a new york girl and a guest at the time of writing of the sister of her affianced in boston This young man was already in chicago making arrangements for his family Who were to come as soon as informed by him that apartments in the already crowded city were in waiting? They were all ready for the flitting and were now wondering why Jerry did not wire them He had written that his plans were near completion and that he should telegraph them in two or three days at the latest, at the time of writing. The three days were just about to expire, hence the excitement visible in the penmanship of Miss O'Neill. Betwixt impatience and anxiety she confessed herself growing really fidgety, especially as Jerry was always so prompt. And then, Don't think me silly, dear, but really Chicago is such a wicked, dangerous place, especially now. I smiled as I read this paragraph and thought of Master Jerry doubtless giving himself a last day or two of freedom from escort duty and of fun, perhaps, on Midway. Decidedly, detectives are not seers. And the second letter since the first did not tell me how or where to find the owner of the little bag, this letter must. And her name would that be revealed? I opened the missive and read it through with some surprise and a great deal of admiration I Had been right in my conjectures of the writer I found her name signed in full at the bottom of her last thick sheet of creamy note paper She had penned the letter in her own room that very morning and had held it unsealed and only half addressed until she had applied at her state post office for the expected letter from her friend and this having been received she had thrust the newly written missive into the little bag hoping doubtless Soon to meet her correspondent who might now be on the way and to tell her story for the letter contained a story Which doubtless she would much prefer to do and Now so much can a few written pages do I almost felt that I knew June generous for that was her name and her friend hilda o'neill miss o'neill's letter had told me first something about herself that she was a petted and somewhat spoiled only daughter something of an heiress too if one might judge from her prattle about charming and costly costumes and a rather reckless expenditure of pin-money and that she was betrothed to gerald trent of the great boston firm of trent and sons with the full consent and approval of all concerned what life could be more serene young fair rich a lover and many friends and now en route for the world's fair To enjoy it in her lover's society Happy girl the only little speck upon her fair horizon when she penned that letter Was the fact that her dearest friend and schoolmate was not quite so happy and June generous the two letters taken together had told me this She was an orphan and Wealthy left in her teens to the guardianship of an aunt her father's widowed sister a woman of fashion par excellence During her niece's minority this lady had tyrannized all she would And now miss generous having recently come of age she yet tyrannized all she could The aunt was eager to mate her niece to a man of her own selection and a heavy purse the niece, until recently, had looked with some favor upon a young man handsome enough, even Miss O'Neill admitted that, and a gentleman beyond question, but with no visible fortune. A short time before, but I will let Miss Jenrys tell this much of her own story, quoting from the fourth page of her letter. I did not mean it so, really, Hilda dear, although it has seemed so to you. You see, I expected to meet you in Boston ere this and that is so much better than writing and now I must write after all And instead of its being from me in Boston to you in New York It is from me here in the White City Such a city Hilda to you in Boston at Nellie Trent's Well you must know this that it was just after aunt charl had washed her hands of me matrimonially speaking for the well for the last time and I was feeling very high and mighty and aunt Charles Quite subdued for her that we gave a reception the last before lent Of course he was there and I had made up my mind that day that I would be honest with my own heart in spite of Aunt Charle. I'm sure he cares for me. I said to myself and well. I knew I liked him a little I knew he only waited for the opportunity to speak and while I would have died rather than help him make it, I said if he does find a chance, if he does speak, or when he does, well I shall never forget that night. Aunt was good enough to say that I was looking my very best. I'm sure I felt so. But of course Aunt spoiled it all, her pretty speech, I mean. June, she wheedled, that handsome Maurice Voisin. Will be here, and I happen to know that he admires you very much. Charlie Wiltby says he is no end of a swell in Paris, and that he is really a rich man who prefers to be modest and avoids fortune-hunting girls. You are old enough to settle down, and with your fortune and his, you might be a leader in Parisian society. There's no place in the world where money and good looks together will do so much for one as they will in Paris. Think of it Hilda if I had not felt so at peace with all the world just then there would have been an occurrence then and there But I held my tongue and was even inclined to be a little sorry that aunt's silly talk was making me feel a genuine antipathy for monsieur Maurice Voisin of Paris renown and Really at that time. I hardly knew the man He is certainly rather good-looking in a dark Spanish fashion and he is taller and somehow more muscular-looking than the typical Frenchman. He is certainly polished, shines almost too much for my liking. But that may be really aunt Charles's fault rather than Monsieur V's. That night, at least before supper, I had no word or thought against him. But I must get on about him, and I'll make it very short. You know how our conservatory is arranged and that little nook just at the entrance to the library where the palms are grouped well I had danced with them both and he had just asked me to go with him into the conservatory to sit out the waltz when monsieur voisin came to claim it I Had for the moment forgotten it and he had only time to say just one word after Well, I'll be candid if it does humiliate me after that waltz i eluded monsieur voisin leaving him with aunt charles and went into the conservatory It was so early and the dancers still so fresh that no one was there as yet I had been stopped once or twice on my way and when I entered the conservatory by way of the drawing-room I fancied for a moment that someone was standing in the shadow of the palms just inside the library door but I went on and reached the nook without being observed I sat down quite out of sight Thinking that if he entered from the ballroom the most direct way I should see him first Imagine my surprise then when almost instantly I heard a movement on the other side of the mound of fairy palms And then at the very first word came my own name There I will not repeat the shameful words But it was his voice that owned to an intention to honor me with a proposal because his finances were getting low and he must choose matrimony as the least of two evils etc While I sat there unable to move and half stunned by this awful insult Suddenly there was a quick rustling a high stifled laugh some whispered words and then another voice Which I did not at first recognize, said very near to me. Ah good evening mr.. Uh, Lossing Charming spot, really. Then there was another movement, some low muttered words, and the sound of footsteps going across the marble toward the library. Then suddenly, right before me, appeared Monsieur Voisin. I could not conceal my agitation and gave the same old hackneyed reason heat, fatigue, sudden faintness. Monsieur Voisin hastened in search of water. And I dropped my face upon my hands to be aroused the next moment by his voice agitated hurried making me a proposal Then something seemed to nerve me to fury. I sprang up and standing erect before him said Mr.. Lossing as I am unfortunately not in the matrimonial market I fear I cannot be of assistance to you much as I regret that the low state of your finances is driving you to so painful a step allow me to pass Before he could reply I had swept past him and meeting monsieur voisin just beyond the palms I took his arm and went back to the ballroom Hilda pride and anger held me up then for I fully believed him the most perfidious of men But since much as I hate myself for it there are times when i doubt the evidence of my own senses and cannot believe that he ever said those words the next morning while my anger still blazed he sent me a letter which i returned unopened that is all hilda he left town the same day i have been told and now you understand doubtless why i am here monsieur voisin of course was not to blame but I could not disconnect him from the rest of the hateful experience. And so at the beginning of Lent I packed my trunks and set out for the country and Aunt Anne's at Greenwood. Dear Aunt Anne, who is so unlike Aunt Charles! Then followed some details of their arrival at the World's Fair and an amusing account of the good lady's first impressions, which were so large and so astounding that she was obliged to remain at home and take the entire day to think things over in. Think of it, Hilda, shut up like a hermit just two blocks from the gate. Is not that like nobody on earth but sweet, slow, obstinate, countrified Aunt Anne? Of whom, thank heaven, I am not one bit ashamed in spite of her shaker bonnet. But I can't lose a day of this wonder. Unfortunately, dear Aunt Anne never dreams of tabooing my sightseeing when I proposed to come alone this morning, the dear soul said, Well, I should hope thee could. Only two straight blocks between here and the gate at 57th Street. And if thee can manage to get lost with all those guards and guys to say nothing of the maps and pictures, thee's a stupid niece, and thee must go back to thy Aunt Charlotte Heavenmeyer. If Aunt Charles could only hear that. Well, dear, I have promised myself a happy time here with Aunt Anne, when she is not occupied with her meditations, and yourself soon, and without Aunt C. But alas, everybody will visit the fair, and yesterday upon Midway, whom should I see but Monsieur Voisin? He was attired as I have never seen him before, quite negligee, you know, and wearing a Turkish fez. It was very becoming. He did not see me, and for this I was thankful. I did not come to the world's fair to see Monsieur Voisin and even to please aunt Charles. I can't make myself like him I Put down this letter and smiled over its sweet ingenuousness and singularly enough. I joined the fair writer in heartily disliking Monsieur Voisin He was altogether too conveniently near at the scene of that unlucky proposal I muttered to myself and then I turned to the other letter I wanted to see what I could make between the two out of young Lossing. I have asked you twice, Miss O'Neill wrote, about your affair with young Mr. Lossing. Your aunt is entirely at a loss, only she declares she is sure that you have refused him and that in some way he has offended you. And I thought him almost perfect, a knight sans reproche, etc. And he is so handsome and frank. And Manly what happened dear it is so strange that he should vanish so utterly from society Where he was made so much of and no one seems to know where he went or when or why or how? Jerry says he was a perfect companion and as honorable as the Sun there. I'll say no more My reading was broken in upon at this point by a prolonged chuckle and i looked up to see brainerd wide awake and staring at me well he queried promptly have you found out her name yes it is june generous as i spoke i returned miss o'neil's letter to its decorated envelope and replaced the two in the bag i'll tell you about them i said as i put it aside somehow i felt a sudden reluctance at the thought of seeing these two letters in the hands and under the eyes of an inveterate joker like dave i'm no wiser in the matter of address however and then i told him the purport of the letters in the fewest words possible you know said dave when i had finished my recital i don't like that voisin not even a little bit i think he's a bad lot i smiled at this there was not a jot of romance in dave brainard's make-up and not a great depth of imagination but he was the keenest man on the trail and the clearest reasoner among a large number of pick and tried detectives It amused me to think that both had been similarly impressed By this man as he had been set before us But I made no comment and to draw away from a subject which I felt it beyond our province to discuss I asked Dave what did you mean this afternoon when we opened that bag by saying that the owner was a clever woman? Upon what did you found that remark? Why, upon the fact that she did not put her purse in that convenient but conspicuous little bag, in consequence of which she is, or was, only slightly annoyed, instead of being seriously troubled at its loss. By the way, or rather to go out of the way, do you know that they have in the French government building a very fine and complete exhibition of the Bertillon identification system, I want to get it. I want to get to it bright and early in the morning I Moved to his side and sat down upon the bed We were both admirers of this fine system and for some moments we discussed it eagerly as we had done more than once before And when I put my head upon my pillow at last It was with JJ and her interests consigned to a secondary place in my mind the first being given over to this wonderful French system the pride of the Paris police and terror of the French criminal But we little know what a day or a night may bring forth Someone rapped at our door at an unpleasantly early hour and the summons brought Dave out of bed with a bound And in another moment had put all thought of the previous night out of our heads Will you come to the captain's office at once gentlemen said a voice outside And I caught a glimpse of a guards blue uniform through the half open door there's been a big diamond robbery right under our noses, and they're calling out the whole force. End of chapter 4